0: Hi everyone, Ben Eisner here. Welcome to another episode of Knitted Heart, where I talk with endlessly curious masters of their craft about their passions, professions, and their shared hope to bring unity, reconciliation, and a reframing of public discourse through their work. My guest today is author, director, and acting teacher extraordinaire Anthony Mindel. Tony recently released his memoir, You Knew When You Were Two, a heartrending, vulnerable journey of a wildly imaginative and compassionate kid who grew up in small town Indiana carrying a secret he was dying to share, but feared the great cost of daring to step out and be his truest, freest self. Tony is the founder of the Anthony Mindel Actors Workshop with studios in Los Angeles, New York, London, Vancouver, Toronto, Atlanta, Sydney, Santa Fe, Chicago, and Cape Town. So take a deep breath and open your heart to the beauty, the humor, and true compassion that radiates from this very lovable person. With that, I give you my sweet conversation with Anthony Mindel. How are you? Dude, I'm doing so good. How about Uh you? Good. How's life in LA? Uh man, we are loving it. Like You're living all of our your best life. <laughs> oh, dude, I'm telling you, like all our critics have been like, you know, waiting for us to come back with our tail between our legs like, oh, bad timing, right? I feel bad for you guys. I'm like yeah. actually exact opposite. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. Well, that's awesome. Yay. So, first of all, this is like kind of a big day for you. I mean, <laughs> why? You're 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 coming out with a book. Your your memoirs coming out, True. right? True.
1: I know it sounds so weird to say memoir, but like yeah. Yeah, it's I mean, it's just another day really. Just I mean <laughs> you, How are you know what feeling. I mean, I feel good. Uh, I mean, do we are we recording? Do we want to save this for when yeah, we Yeah, we can
0: we can record it. Like Yeah. I, I, I mean,
1: um, cuz you know sometimes like you know,
0: first take is god. First yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah,
1: first take is God for That's sure. Right. Um, so, and this is just—is this just the audio? Because I look horrible.
0: Yeah, like it can be like whatever you want it to be. Like I, I mean, think- I don't
1: care. I'm not <laughs> vain. I'm just—I have really high hair. We got home late last night because we had a screening last night, and like it's fine. I look, dude. Horrible. Honestly,
0: Tony, like you look great. You look great. And I'm
1: wearing these crazy blue glasses because I've been spending so much time on screen. You know what I mean? Like I, you have to protect your eyes. Yeah, man. No. No, so. honestly,
0: you, you look great. And and no, honestly you look great. So it's up to you, man. If you want no, no, to no. Be do, audio do. only, we can do video, whatever. I don't care. Okay. I'm a
1: grown ass adult. You're a grown ass adult. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, dude.
0: Well, first of all, thanks is, so much. Are we officially this. starting? Yeah, okay. let's do it. Let's now go I'll put blend, on my it? official voice. Okay, yeah. Put on your official voice. <laughs> this is like free flow, just oh cool, yeah. That's two friends best. just talking, you know what I mean yeah. I'd rather just feed off of each other and just go with it instead of have this structured wooden like robotic
1: well, you know the problem has been to like you if you watch interviewers, you can see when interviewers aren't really listening and they're so they lose the opportunity to be in the flow in the moment, so they're yeah. instead they have their next question they have to ask, yeah, which is again it's so bizarre, like you know the conversational aspect of of interviewing whatever that word means is like right. lost because totally. there is no conversation they're just hitting bullet points it's kind of strange yeah. you know what Checking i mean boxes yeah that's totally right you know what i mean as opposed to like what other cool things could you talk about when yeah. you just really listen to each other you know what yeah, i mean
0: for sure i kind of experienced that when i interviewed margaret Cho. Okay. The timing was weird. It like happened right four days after George Floyd was murdered. Oh, wow.
1: Yeah, there's a lot.
0: Mm -hmm. It was just a really heavy moment. And I'm thinking, we can't talk about anything other than that. You know what I mean? But Ben,
1: it's all connected, right? Like, I mean, to, you know, the amazing thing, when I've gone to the protests, I haven't been now in, in a bit, but when they were right after, yeah, when everything kind of blew up, and I had gone to a few like I saw like it was intense and heavy but it was also joyous and a celebration Mm -hmm. it was a hope for the future and and you know a mobilization of big-hearted people and white and black, like who wanted to come together and do the right thing. You know what I mean? So I think that's the most important thing for people to keep remembering in terms of these huge challenges that we face. Like we had a screening of my movie last night and I was talking about how like, it was a social distance masked screening, by the way. You know what I mean? I'm not advocating like an Ozark pool party. No, it was really safe and it was really incredible. It was outdoors on the rooftop. But you know, one of the things I mentioned before, We screened the movie. Was I just said like you know our problems? You know the movie also is kind of addressing like the sort of interconnectivity of all problems, and Mm -hmm. that when you know we living our lives right now in this moment, whether it's accidental or it's by fate, we also are affecting other people, either that we know or don't know. That's how interconnected all of it is. You know what I mean? And I think that that's a conversation that sadly most of society doesn't engage in that you know it's the um oh my gosh who was the chinese uh uh, oh my gosh uh spiritualist who said you need a fact checker for your podcast by the way i do too i don't have that i'm like my own i need one about like he 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 talked about or maybe no he was he was a scientist um oh gosh well you'll look it up but uh, you know, when a when a butterfly flaps its wings in Japan, it causes a tsunami in you know Hawaii. And it's really about the interconnectedness of every single action and being on the planet. You know, yes. and we don't. Yes. I don't know. I think we're oblivious to that sort of the ramifications of what we're doing, and that it speaks to movements and activism yeah. and advocacy and from Black Lives Matter, is connected to climate change, is connected to social justice, is connected to immigration rights, is connected to, is connected to, uh, you know, the importance of voting, is connected to everything, you know? Yeah. You know, I like the the definition of the word universe is one verse. Mm. A uni, you know, a universe. So we're all we're all in the same symphony. We're all playing different instruments. You know mm. what I mean? Yeah, but it's all the same melody, really. You know, yeah. so it really is. Um, but it's it's difficult because we're living in a time it seems to be nothing but the fractured dissonance of how. Uh, Disconnected, we are. You know what I mean. Um, Yeah, I don't know. Interesting times, Ben. I'm
0: sure we can talk more about that. (laughs) Yeah, we can talk about more about that all day. About
1: politics, we can talk about. I'm. I talk about everything. You know me. Yeah,
0: me too. No, me Um, too.
1: And writing something down.
0: And I'm a. You know, as you know, I'm a huge uh, admirer of Thomas Merton. And yes, we've uh, talked
1: about that. Yes,
0: the whole idea of something he says is so distilled down to this beautiful truth that we are already one we just don't know it yet when we wake up to that beauty holy cow i don't think we'd we'd be beside ourselves
1: mm. well you know there's like the hindu uh philosophy of what they call it maya like the delusion mm-hmm. of you know this existence means is really. God has taken the form of all beings to know itself so it's kind of beautiful so like God is him or herself or their self through you but also through me also through you know all beings even those we judge to be you know monsters and horrible people Uh, I think people can probably understand who I'm you know certain yeah you know what I mean but I think Uh it is a really interesting way of thinking about life that, um, God wanted to know itself and the only way it could do so through the human form is through the creation of who we each are. And, Mm. and so that also helps. I think that doesn't mean we let terrible things happen or we don't stand up for justice and, and, and righteousness, but it also helps you, I think, hold space for, um, you know, all of humanity. And like, you know, that to me, when I demonize people, or when I struggle with like, oh, that person is a horrible person. It's sort of, it's easy for me to project onto that person, you know, those things that I don't want to reconcile in myself. Mm. But if if that person is also a string of God's quartet, like I also have to see their own divinity and humanity. You know what I mean? <laughs> and that's yes. much harder to do. It's so hard to so do. hard.
0: It's, it's so hard. But <laughs> so that, that whole idea of, I don't know if it was Alan Watts or whatever, fact check again, but like, yeah. That whole idea that we go through our lives and something or someone comes against us and quote-unquote rubs us the wrong way. way. But if we can just quickly be able to be like, ah, I see you, Mara. Mm. You're dressed up in this kind of manifestation, but what's your role in my transformation and yours? That's right. Goes on and on and on and on. Well, it's also, I mean, I love this so deep already,
1: but like also, you know, where I get really frustrated is trying to use my platform, not, not to, how do I say it? Where I get challenged is trying to, I can't change people. And I think that's where we get, I, am speaking for a lot of people, probably our frustrations are trying to, um, get people to get us. And I don't think that that's, that's not the point of really living a spiritual life. The, Mm. the, The truth is to show up in the world with, I mean, it sounds so cliché, but it's so true. Like you just said, like when somebody rubs us the wrong way, when we're faced with a a huge obstacle in another person and a person's views that we just find morally, you know, questionable. It's really about how do we move out into the world still leading from love, showing there's another way leading yes. by example not yes. trying to get that per- because that never works anyway Ben every time I try i've gotten to a fight with somebody about thinking that they're wrong <laughs> right, right, right. right they're never going to not think that they're not right right so all i can do is just try to lead from and i'm not saying that i do all the time you know what i mean mm-hmm. or even maybe like a tiny percent of the time but but that's that that is what all the great saints and teachers have been saying right yeah, Change yourself, sure. work on Change thyself, yes. lead from thyself. Yeah. You know, uh, get more honest with yourself. I mean, that's also a perfect segue of what acting is about. You know, that's, I mean, you're a part of the school in Chicago, like that's, that's, that's all that I teach really, you know what I mean? And then how can we play roles that we feel so disconnected from or have judgment about? You can't, like you have to find where does that person meet you inside you, you know? Mm. And it's, it's like, I think it's, I think it's interesting too, if if you think about like, when we have to play roles where we find that the person, we have so many judgments about that person and we yeah. still don't know how to like find it in ourselves. I think it's so easy. All you have to do is just kind of switch topics, if you will. You hmm. know what I mean? Like, I think I... I, I yeah, give I, me an example. Well, I think I say in my first book, like, I know I, I do use this example where like, if you're playing somebody who is like... Uh, not a defender of life, who's a murderer, or like, you know, um, a sociopath, or like, and you can't really find that murderous place in you, you can't find that, that place of wanting to like, do harm, right? Mm -hmm. So, okay, so you just start to look in your life where you do do harm, maybe in a very innocuous way. And so I think I use this silly example of like mosquitoes, Mm. especially I grew up in the Midwest, not far from Chicago, and you're trying to go to bed and you hear, you know, I would, ju- and I still do, if that happens, I jump up in a murderous rage and I will <laughs> spend the whole night trying to find that mosquito and hunt it down. So that's, Slay that dude. Yes, that's right. The propensity to create havoc and destruction, it's there. It's so there. you start with something a little bit more, I think, palatable within your own system you know what i mean and then you're like oh yeah okay okay that's what
0: i'm dealing with yeah yeah i spent a three-day weekend with you in one of your workshops in chicago warrior workshops in one of your workshops (laughs) it was a really powerful experience for me personally but for me to observe you see something unspoken in the way Somebody's carrying themselves the way they delivered certain lines or their cadence or the way they're slumped over, whatever it is, just a million different possible variables. Eight out of the 10 people that you would stop and spend a minute with in front of the whole class would just start crying, sobbing, like my, <laughs> sobbing. And yeah. it's like we can talk about this forever, too, in terms of what acting really is. but. You have this way to draw forth who, who people truly know they are, but don't know they are yet. That's Does right. that make
1: sense? But that's it. It's what we're talking about. That's life too, right? I mean, that's the journey. I mean, I think acting, I love that you were saying that. It's like, to me, it's very hard to distill what it is that we do at our schools, but but it isn't in a way because it's hard to talk about it because – you know what I mean? Acting can be so theoretical and conceptual yeah. in a way. And like, you just have to keep experiencing yourself in storytelling and you'll find it. But I think it's, it's two parts, right? So like when I'm working with someone, I'm trying to awaken them to, I don't know, their own discovery of who they are, acceptance of radical self-acceptance, um, discovering that they're enough un unraveling all these parts that they have been taught that they have to be right. Mm. So there's, so there's yeah. sort of this, uh, disarming aspect of it but then there's also then helping them understand though then we have to put the more essential part of who they are into the story right Mm. to tell story to to hold space for story to like not do it the right way because there is no right way but but we're not just these amorphous like like there are there are some certain technical aspects to acting right like Mm there are words and there's dialogue and there's like, you know, I think a, a story that needs to be fulfilled and a situation in certain circumstances. And, and again, it's not too heavy. It's not too hard to get that part. I don't think that part's that hard, but mm. I do find that when people are taught those outside structures first, without mm. even having an understanding of who they are, Mm. put that in there it's always yeah. going to be sort of like it's not going to be really real right it's like window yeah. dressing that's what i've discovered over the years that's
0: a good you know, I just coached
1: this kid i just coached this kid uh via zoom his managers wanted me to work with him and he sent me his cell tapes and his tapes were good they were good like he has a good look and like he was again he was hitting all the like correct notes right yeah. Technically, Yeah, that's right. The lines were executed well. And like, I could see he understands the story. All these things we're talking about that you have to, you have to fulfill that part, right? It's like, it's like baking a cake. Mm. If you want the cake to taste good, there are certain steps you have to like follow, right? The sugar, milk or whatever. I'm a terrible baker. Ah. But however, comma. So I would, before I word with him, I'm in my mind just like, okay, he's, he should be, the way he could get cast is not kind of what he's putting in the work. So I sent him an email like, look, there's, where is your sex, your, your sexualness, your mm. danger, your rawness, yeah. your like, you know, that's the way he, those are the roles he should be getting cast in, but he's playing an idea of it as opposed mm. to living it. So sure enough, then in our first session, Ben is crazy. He had a huge opening just by his discovery that, He himself, the way he would live in those circumstances written by the writer and giving himself the permission to do it the way he instinctually wants to do it is Uh. all of a sudden what meets himself as the character. And then he naturally becomes dangerous and sexy and because those are all the things he is in life, right? Like we are all the things that we we don't think we are that we then try to play an idea for character. But the biggest thing is, is he'd never been taught to listen. And it all comes down to, so he'd been taught all the outer accoutrement, but mm. he just was like recalling a line and just saying a line and then giving a good line reading the way the line should be set. But then when I improbbed with him and then took the improv into the scene, he was like, oh my God. Mm. So, and then sure enough, then after I was done coaching him, I was like, go put that on tape and then let me, okay. you know, send it to me is the best tape I'd seen him do uh, and his girlfriend who reads with him all the time who's not an actor she's like that was by far the best tape you'd ever done now mm. I am not giving myself credit for it cuz I had nothing to do with it but to help an actor understand that it's all listening and reacting like what life is we're yeah. constantly reacting to life i'm constantly yes. reacting to Donald Trump or climate collapse or people who don't who believe that coronavirus is a conspiracy i'm constantly reacting to so why are we not taught that in our acting? Mm. If we can be taught that first, as you know, yeah, it just starts to come. It just you know? starts to
0: come. Yeah, it gets easy. One of my previous episodes with the iconic Joan Darling. I call her the all-knowing Joan Darling. She's a director, one of the first woman directors in the 60s, and she directed a whole bunch of MASH episodes and Mary Tyler Moore. Oh, wow. Her directorial debut was in the late 60s, Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. Oh, I remember that show. (laughs) The youngins are like, who is Mary
1: Hartman? And is that Mary Tyler Moore? There's two Marys.
0: (laughs) Joan told the story where she said they were rehearsing for theater and, you know, and her character was like on a bench or a feigning counter couch or something. So she's on this, this couch and she's mid scene. And all of a sudden she fell off the bench and she kind of stopped. And her teacher says, Joan, you fell off the bench. And she goes, yeah. And he goes, no, joan you fell off the bench and she goes aha that was the most truthful moment in the performance well i think you
1: said it at the top of this podcast right like the mistakes are god's how did you say it first take is god yeah meaning like i always think the mistake oh really That's beautiful. I think the mistake is, uh, uh, the mistakes are what you pray for, because in the mistake, it's uncontrolled, it's unrehearsed, it's unknown. And and yet again, like actors often stop themselves, like they're saying the lines and then like, I don't know, they fall or they drop the glass or something. And then they're like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, don't say drop glass here, but the glass (laughs) dropped. But now... What do I do with the line? I don't know. You just say the line like you would in life. If you and I were talking, right, I'm going to do it. If you and I are talking right now and I drop my bottle, I still, I respond with right. my line. And oh, the bottle dropped. See what I'm exactly. saying? Exactly. Yeah. It's, again, it's so easy, but it's not easy. You know? No. So.
0: Well, yeah.
1: I know that's Acting what is really hard because it's so easy. That's another thing. Like, I think we live in the cult of, um, having to work so hard and, <laughs> you know what i mean if we're not like oh god and i think like life i'm always joking like life is too tragic to not be a tragic comedy so you better fucking have fun because it's gonna be <laughs> over before we know yeah. it maybe, maybe right. even before we even really think it's gonna be over you know what uh, i mean <laughs> so yeah. like i just think it, it, there's a lot of science that proves like when we're having fun when we're in joy when we're more lighthearted. Like Mm. creativity becomes more accessible. And so to me, I teach the art of the fuck it in a way. Ooh, yeah. And that's not to disrespect. No. You know, because I think sometimes that word, fuck it. No, I just mean you're not not caught up in the outcome, the results, what you think it's supposed to look like. You're in the flow. You're in play. You're like reacting instinctually. You're doing it the way you want to do it. And the, yeah. so that feedback loop can be built and created. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. It's play. It really is play. It when really I watch, old, I've been watching a lot of old movies because, you know, I'm like, oh my God, quarantine. But but it's been really great. And when I, you know, what's amazing about it, Ben, like when you watch a lot of performers from the 40s, 50s, 60s, well, throughout, but like yeah. you see in many ways how they just go for shit and they go for shit in a way that I think sometimes in our Netflix occasion of the churning and of of of, I'm not saying that material isn't great but cranking it out you're I see sometimes where actors and also that's the material sometimes where you just sort of see like I don't know how shall I say it that acting becomes just it's not risky sometimes you Mm. know what I mean yeah. Like the safe. formulaicness of stuff just kind of keeps it in a bandwidth of like, and then when you go and you watch something and you see an actor taking a huge risk, you're like, oh my God, they're so alive. Yeah. And and that aliveness is it makes I often post on my Instagram stories because it makes me so excited. That I like, I'm like, see where you can go, see what you can do, see how you can live outside of the margins of the lines. Yes. So it's it is amazing. I think I think young actors should watch older movies because I think I don't think we should just be watching contemporary Netflix shows as the arbiter of of acting. You know what I mean?
0: Totally. Yeah, but even like Bergman, Bergman had this confidence to hold on a shot of three people sitting at a table forever i know Uh. it's
1: kind of crazy like i also think maybe it's not even netflix it's you know i think we live in a technological age now Mm. where maybe this is a, a better way of thinking about it again there are other you know beautiful shows and movies that that aren't doing this but i think sometimes we are so accustomed now to cutting so fast and getting yeah. on to something We're, so the margins of allowing actors like you just said to, to for us also to have to sit in the uncomfortable to have to like stay with an actor doesn't happen we just you just move on to the next move clip on. really quickly you know what i mean yeah. It's It's uncomfortable. Yes. It's too human for people. And it's sort of the phone, you know, I don't know. It's the phone. I think it's all the phone.
0: Yeah. My Uh, glory years as like a kid were the 80s. Okay. Yeah. So the idea of living without the internet or a cell phone and the anticipation that in 2 weeks. A good word. Yeah, yeah, Guns and Roses is coming out with a new record. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that, that was number. a stupid example, but No, you know I what know. I'm I, was like, I
1: wasn't waiting for Guns and Roses, but no, I was I was waiting for like Aliens. Yeah.
0: In 1986,
1: I was 16 or something, but like no, the anticipation of but also I think the curiosity of having to stimulate yourself without stimulation. Like I think, you know, again, I'm not I don't want this to turn into, oh, it's Ben and Tony talking about the good old days. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sometimes I feel so old because I'm like, <laughs> oh, these youngins. But there I is I weep for the future. Exactly. You know, there is something to be said about how we didn't and and actually I will back this up. There's a documentary that's coming out um, on Netflix. It's the same guys that did uh, wasn't called Chasing Coral, but it was about coral, coral reef bleaching. It's a beautiful mm. movie on Netflix. And it, I don't think I don't know it's called Chasing Coral, but something coral in it. I, I saw it like a couple of years ago. It's a beautiful movie about like how 90% of the coral reefs around the world because of acidic bleaching and climate change are destroying. And it's kind of yet another... Coral reefs are like the, 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 the canary in the coal mine, yet again. Like, you know what I mean? They are the monitor, the heart and lungs of the oceans. And it's really sad and terrifying and beautiful. And these filmmakers are really great. And so the, anyway, they have this new film coming out, September 9th, I think I saw, that's about um, social media and mm-hmm. the absolute science. They, they talk to a lot of the uh, app developers, and I've, I've lectured on this, how first of all, there's the addiction gene that is programmed into these freaking social media apps, right? Like they are, it's kind of very like uh, Lord Voldemort, how evil it is in a way. Like it's all designed for us to stay in our ADD uh, response system of like, where are my likes, where are my hits? And they talk about Mm. it, right? But also how it's just sort of unraveling uh, I just saw the trailer, but I th- and then read an interview with a guy, and it's really interesting about sort of the unraveling of our democracy in a way of how it's the spreading of false information about non fact checking about um, it's really fascinating how I can't it yeah it's really and these filmmakers are really this is their third movie and they're they're really interesting guys and but I guess my point was is well I was talking about how. If now there's a lot of science that shows our phone use has negative consequences, it goes back to when we were kids, we were not driven to addiction in that regard because we didn't have that. So we were forced to go outside and imagine whatever, dragons and flying or like I would always play Charlie's Angels. That was one of the angels. You know what I mean? Totally.
0: Imagination. It's kind of sad in a way. You know what I mean? It's really sad. Well, I had the thought the other day, thinking about those moments where we feel attracted to grab the phone to just see if there's a hit waiting for us. And it's like every single moment we choose not to pick up the phone and look is a moment we can sit with ourselves and let the muse of creativity, of imagination, of whatever is wanting to speak to us in that moment to actually say something you know what i mean yeah creating space for that right space but then i think the thing is is for you know we're older but i can't
1: even imagine kids who grew up with that and how much more the addiction is encoded and hardwired in them now it makes me sad like but also like you said but 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 what i know these software developers also talk about is it's not a, a real when you go to your phone to look to your likes or whatever. They also withhold likes and they keep information from. No people. way. Yes, yes, yes. Come on. This is the evilness. No, 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 no. So that you have to keep going back to refresh your browser to see it's all, is there in a logarithm? It's all so like, see, this is the, th- but this then leads me to the thing of like, uh, we, as a, I can only speak as an American. I don't know. Yeah. Like I'm more than an American, but I live here. So I'm a consumer of Americanism, right? Like yeah. I think we're so uneducated and so not aware of so many things, right? And mm-hmm. also things, yeah. everything has become politicized in some weird way. So the real information about things is as you, you don't even have access to it because you're immediately told it's either left or right. And right. I think it's led to this sort of breakdown of any kind of common sense of like, well, how do we solve this problem? You know, like climate yeah. change. Is such a huge problem, but it's become politicized. But in the '80s, this is a this is fact. In the '80s, in 1988, they had their first um, panel that they were. I'm kind of like a. I, I like. I love. I don't love climate change, but I'm really <laughs> fascinated in the stories behind it, and and it's like the storytelling of our lives. If you think about it, right, it's going to yeah. change the way we tell stories, right, because it's it's going to affect how we live life. But in 1988, they had their first the the, the they had their presentation to the Senate and to Congress about um, the, the sort of the environmental and climate effects of if we didn't start to make changes, right? And it had almost passed. It was like 99 to 1. And then George Bush got elected into office. And and I'm not blaming George Bush. It was actually his advisor, John Sununu. This is all factual, who basically put the kibosh on it. And basically, it started to turn into a political movement that, you know, climate change wasn't real. That's when, like, all the oil companies started to, like, you know, develop their propaganda around it. But I just think it's fascinating. So people don't Mm. trace back, you know, to the, I think the real truth of things and then the politicalization of something is what people think is real. I mean, people are like, can just please get back to acting? But I think this is so fascinating. So in 1988, had they passed, had our government passed the legislation that they were so close to passing where we are right now in terms of carbon levels, yeah. we would be 40 years, we would be 40 years ahead of where we are now, right? 1988. So how many years is that? Is that 30, 88? Whatever my whatever 1988 minus 2020 is. I'm an artist, I'm not a mathematician, but basically we're 30 years behind where we could have been. Gee. Had we just passed these, you know, just was just like being more mindful about, oh, here's the science. It's irrefutable. What are we gonna yeah. do about it? So yeah. it's it's I think this is kind of the I guess my point is is we don't want to educate ourselves. No. No.
0: Well Which makes me what?
1: sad because being educated is curious. It's cur- it comes back to it's curiosity and it's interest and it's like it's participation. And yeah. but I think artists are that way. I think artists care. Because artists yeah. are outliers and artists are not sheep people, no. you know? The mm-hmm. government wants people to be disorganized by a Russian bot. The government yeah. wants people to be like believe in conspiracy theories because it creates mayhem and confusion and distraction, right? Like, but artists, I think, really dwell in the world of imagination and curiosity and fact in telling story based on... I think a neutral point of view because they're reflecting back to society, what it means to be human. So you have to be neutral about it in a way.
0: Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, I, it makes me think, I want to say it was Angela Davis who said the less we know about history, the easier it is to be on the right side of it. Oh, wow. Damn. Ouch. Yeah. She was, she's still alive actually, I think. Yeah. She's yeah, a she prof. Yeah. In Santa Cruz. That's
1: right. Yeah. She's not even that old. I remember I, uh, the 13th documentary. I think she's interviewed in oh, that. And,
0: yeah. Powerful. Yeah. Yeah. That's an amazing statement. She's one of those people that everything she says, I'm like, yep. <laughs> I agree with that. <laughs>
1: well, I mean, I think what she's saying, Ben, is also so speaks so much to the, the you know, we don't want to, it's sort of like, how do I say it? She just said it so much more eloquently, but I just want to again, because I'm a teacher of the power of now, we don't ever, it seems like we're stuck in not looking at the now where all solutions to all problems exist. Mm -hmm. And the polarization occurs from, here it is, especially white people holding on to the past. The history is what she's talking about, which continues to reinforce, you know, legislation or policy or racism or the things that are keeping us stuck in some other time without looking at, well, wait a minute. Does that really even work right now? And does that even apply? Yeah, it's so true. Wow. Sorry. I cut you off. You were talking about the 13th documentary, right?
0: No, I wasn't. I was just uh, agreeing with you. That's a great, (laughs) that's powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Angela Davis. She's, she's on fire and she's worth listening to. So.
1: I don't know. I always say, like, I think it's a really, as as scary and weird as this year is, I also think it's been essential and necessary. So mm-hmm. we need somebody like Donald Trump and his cronies in office in order to have created the revolution, because there wouldn't have been uprisings. There wouldn't right. be this call to action. There wouldn't be a conscious awareness around Black Lives Matter, around immigrant rights, around so many things that I think are, are so much more front and center now which is important yeah. you know
0: so important i just read a book by eddie s cloud he's a he's a prophet princeton and he's a msnbc contributor but he just wrote a book called begin again about james baldwin's america oh uh huh. so the big like kind of proverbial but practical question is how do we begin again what does beginning again really really look like, like?
1: Well, I think it's hard for white people, right? Like our own complicitness in racism. You know what I mean? I think like the word racism for white people, if you care and you're compassionate and you don't feel like you're a racist, that word conjures up like the KKK and, you know, white hooded sheets and using terrible epithets and horrible words that we wouldn't say, you know? But then what I think the... the awareness of the education that's occurring for a lot of people who do care is like, oh no, actually racism is a part of an entire structure. It's a part of, um, uh, a business really, if you will, you know what I mean? It really is. It's a part of like the groundwork of which are, you know, I also think in terms of like, when I think about, I, I posted, I post a lot of climate stuff in, in, in relation to social justice and a lot of other causes, on my social media feed, but like, like the entire industrial revolution is really caused by white supremacy, if you think about it. and I never really like had that "Aha" until recently mm. when you think about you know colonialism and imperialism was all about white people, Dutch settlers in Africa, the African American slave trade, um, other island occupations where they would go in and basically exploit natural resources and animals and human beings and, human beings. and yeah. yes and then put them to work to create industry that has become the bedrock of america and not yeah. just america it is white it's white civilization right yeah. and so i think when you start to unwrap again when we look at the history of stuff not in terms of not in terms of like going back or working from those mistakes like you were just saying like what angela davis is saying to me is like knowing the history so we can do better but also it gives you greater context of like oh my god i am i as a white person am the recipient of yeah you know what i mean of all of it of of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of oh my my appliances which come out of the industrial revolution were caused by slave were contributed by slave labor. You know what I mean? Like yes. you start to unravel, well fuck, of course I have to do something about this then. You know what I mean? Right. And then yeah. you're just like, okay, well we can do something about it.
0: We can do something about it. Yeah. It's it's so really again it's not it.
1: that hard. It's not that hard.
0: I mean, no. it is.
1: Well what I'm talking about is not it's not that hard to make that change in your mind because you realize, oh gosh, I have been the beneficiary of racism. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so I don't want that anymore. So what can I do to make a change? Yeah. But I think, I don't know. I think it's like what we've been saying, Ben, is I think it's hard for people to change. It's hard. It's the fear as we see the fear mongering of like uh, what's on the other side or what you have to give up or what you're going to lose. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that's why it's really hard for uh, a lot of Americans to like reconcile it.
0: It's what our history books taught us as school children. Oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah, it all needs to
1: be, it needs to just be all overturned, you know? It needs to be, you know, well, it is. I think there's an upheaval.
0: Right now, I think a lot of Black America, based on what I'm reading, is a sense of a little bit of betrayal here.
1: Well, I just think it's like, change is really slow, isn't it? Like it, it could like change is, is can be as immediate and as fast as an idea is birthed, and that's what's exciting about it. That is what's hopeful. Like people have a great idea of like, oh, whatever it is. It's just you have a very creative, exciting idea, and then but then from the ideation to the actual manifestation takes a long time because you're you're dealing with structured systems that have been in place to operate. For so long, a certain way, you know what I mean. Yeah. You're dealing with like the consciousness of many other people, so that's yeah. what's challenging about society. That's just what's challenging about being, you know, a cog in the wheel, if you will. You know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> but again, then it just comes back to, but but it comes back to again our own individual responsibility. I can't. Yes. All I can do as a business owner and as an activist and as an artist and as a spiritualist is to be an advocate for change myself start with myself and that ripples out to other people, conversations about it as a business owner, making changes within the business to support our BIPOC community. Do you know what I mean? So it's really exciting. So I know I'm making a difference. I'm doing mentorships. Like there's a lots of things that we can do. You know what I mean? So I think, I think when we look at the big picture stuff, it's overwhelming, but I don't think advocacy, I think advocacy is small, small pebbles, small pebbles. I think it's always been, No, that. you know?
0: Yeah, I think so.
1: I mean, life is advocacy. I mean, Ben, life is advocacy for, again, justice for all human beings. Life is advocacy for doing what's right. Life is advocacy for, uh, you know, the environment. Life is advocacy, I think. If, you know what I mean? Life is service. And if it's service, then it's advocacy. Because if life is service, then it's trying to help people who have less than you. Oh, I'm going to totally start crying. That's service. To be serviceful is to where can I help you, brother? How do you need yeah. help, sister? That's why we're here. That's so why we're here. That's, but America is like capitalist driven. And that's the last. <laughs> Let's change subjects. I mean, we can talk <laughs> about this forever. It's I mean, so like, heavy. You know what I mean? capitalism yeah, is like don't get me started yeah i know, we it's, could talk so about complex, you know? it's so complex you know let's talk about my book shall we yes
0: yes yes okay <laughs> perfect dude. segue okay.
1: i want dude. people to buy my book talk about capitalism dude. okay you know let's I mean? talk
0: about your book okay speaking of capitalism no. yes uh, i know you can get it on amazon people <laughs> <laughs> okay dude I did read your book. Oh, I read it. No, You did already? I read the whole fucking oh, thing. Oh, shit, Ben. That's yeah, crazy. No, okay. I did. And honestly, Tony, it really gripped me. I, oh. I was really... No, I'm serious. It was really, Come really on, special. Just, you have to say I, that. No, dude. <laughs> I promise you. I will prove to you. I will cherry pick certain things out. And you're like, damn, you did read uh, it. But
1: Did you no, laugh? But, There's some funny stories. Oh, hell yeah. Okay, yeah, good. dude. I okay. laughed.
0: Dude, you... Okay, <laughs> Under the banner, let's just start here. First, so vulnerable, man. Like it's oh. gonna, it's it's gonna make thank me you, cry. Man. Oh,
1: thank you. Really, that's so sweet. I feel oh. like my that was my editor. She kept pushing
0: me. Well, well, here's the deal. You held nothing back, and oh, that means a lot. People need that.
1: Well, it means also a lot. As a straight man, not that I categorize people, but like you know, not that it's a gay book, but there are little stories about me growing up gay. But yeah. I really think that I think my stories are universal, right? Because they're the struggle of identity, loving yourself, fitting in, yes. finding your yes. own voice. You know what I mean? I happen to be gay, but you could be a straight little boy artist in the Midwest or wanting to be in a rock band or, you know what I mean? Or just asking yeah. a girl out, like whatever it is. I think it's like, so that means a lot, Ben. Thank you so much. Like, um, you know, I here's the thing about my work and i think this is the the thing that artists have to remember is you just have to keep putting your stuff out there and if 10 people if only you know once we release the book i mean obviously it's not easy to release a book during a pandemic but it was ready to go in june and i was like let's just do it and i i just was like i've released it if i only get 10 if only 10 people buy my book (laughs) so what you know what i mean it's it's not mine anymore it's like okay so i've changed hopefully 10 people's lives and or they recommend it to somebody else or you know that's I think the problem with artists is we hold on to our stuff because we think it's scared to be vulnerable. Yes, you know what I mean. I like last night we had this movie screening of, of mine and it's kind of about the the process of how we work at the school. So it's like this interesting hybrid documentary. Um, I think you'd love it. I can't wait for you to see it. But I and I've I've already, I've already had a couple screens. We had a screening in New York. We had a big screening here in the fall, and like the reception has been great. But like. I told my boyfriend when we were leaving, I was like, you know what? I love and accept myself no matter what happens. You know what I mean? Yeah, like right. we ha- You know what I mean? People could hate it. And right. it's okay. I have to. We have to, as artists, s- stand by our work. It, it, it's a representation of a moment in time. And, and so the good. story we want to tell at that time, right? It's really good. So I think that that's, that's what I advocate for, you know? And I'm, I'm not good at it, but I keep trying to do it. You know, and no, I want artists to know. Like, I think that that I think actors we admire, artists we admire, are also up against that. Yeah. Fame seems to mask that part of it, and I think that's what's dangerous about it. But the artists that I know are like yeah. trepidatious about, like, well, okay, here we go. <laughs> da, 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 da. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they just have, may have like a huge, you know, movie pr machine that make it sound like it's the most amazing thing ever in the world yeah exactly and sometimes it is and sometimes it's like oh okay you know that's
0: that's creating right like so let me get to i have to first things first have to say this i about fell out of my chair when i found out that you had an omi
1: i did have an omi
0: i had an omi
1: german for grandmother you guys
0: yes german for grandmother everybody dude, I had a Nomi sure. and she was, she is my everything, my oh. absolute everything. So like, t- so when I to heard me. you had a Nomi, I was like, Oh my gosh. So would you, can you just tell us about your Nomi? I'm just it struck a chord with me.
1: Yeah. I mean, I spent a lot of time my, like in my early twenties, I went to grad school in London and then I would spend a lot of time in Germany on our holiday breaks. And then I spent the entire summer with her and I was like, 23 I think I said in the book at that time and you know I was still grappling with being gay and I don't know it just was a really amazing relationship like my German was not very good still isn't that great um and she spoke no English but I think I have a line in the book about how you know to be able to connect with someone at the most human level you don't need to have words to connect Mm. you know what I mean and so uh, some of my, like, I just, you know, like she was an amazing cook and we bonded, I bonded over the meals she made for me. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and it was just a really beautiful summer. And uh, I don't know, it's really, I, 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 that's one of my favorite chapters in the book. And sadly, she was in the beginning phases of having Alzheimer's. And so I, I started to see, and since then she had passed, my mom's sister died of Alzheimer's I had a lot I have a lot of Alzheimer's in my family and Hmm. on my mom's side like I think I've had have had five my mom has had like five aunts pass from it a lot and that's heavy yeah it's heavy it's intense and so I don't know I I still very I see very vividly like images of my Omi and also uh, stories that I didn't know that I I mentioned about her that I found out later is like she grew up You know, she was young during World War One, and then by World War Two, her husband went off to war. He had to fight in the war. He was conscripted. You know, it's not that they were Nazis. He just had to like. You know, people were like our Vietnam War. People are having to like go to war, right? And so he died. uh, He died, but he was MIA. They never found him. I think there was. I think the. I think historically, they believe he was. Part of the Russian front that that froze to death, trying to invade Russia. That famous, you know, there were many, yeah. many German deaths there. But so my my grandmother had three kids under the age of like eight, you know, toward the end of World War II, and they had no money. They lived on like potatoes, and she had a farm. And then right after World War II, a lot of uh, when they were starting to close the borders, a lot of what became communist countries, Czechoslovakia, Hungary
0: yeah
1: um my they my my grandmother lived in Bavaria, which was very close to the Czechoslovakian border so people would refugees war refugees would spill over and my grandmother would hide them in her barn because it, by then uh Germany was uh occupied by Americans and the American servicemen that was illegal to like house any you know refugees but she would house them and then when it was clear she would Let them like they would take their stuff and then, like, find a place to stay in Germany. So my my grandmother. So I have advocacy in my blood. You know what I mean? Like she was a true hero. So I don't know. I hope people can. I love that you related to that story.
0: And yeah, I really did. Yeah, I that was one of those chapters where I was like, wow, this is this is striking a chord with me personally. Uh And so there's hope for my book. Okay. Okay. So I read your book. I immediately saw how the film would open open on marty's restaurant family-owned business small town indiana right filled with you know everyday you know Midwesterners, patrons, yeah, mid-westerners yeah. and there's 13 year old tony like <laughs> fucking like rocking it he's got like 10 tables and he's like i was <laughs> dude you just like owned the place right yeah and after break you know you cut to end of the shift you're sitting with the older waitresses who are probably two and a half times your age yeah right smoking cigarettes smoking cigarettes you know camels with no filters whatever (laughs) and then you're talking about bill the chef who is this unbelievable pastry chef right yeah and and then there's this kind of murmuring that kind of passes through that you're like wait did i catch that right I think he's gay. Yeah, he's a homo. Yeah, He's a homo. Was that moment kind of like one of those moments where you started to feel like, you know what, I might have some permission to work through these possibilities. Like, what, what was going on then? To me, that was like, you know, I, I always call the Midwest at that time, like,
1: you know, during Reagan years, no less, right? It was like behind right. the Iron Curtain. Like, it felt very totalitarianistic and reprimanded and you can't be gay also everybody's gay nowadays it feels like everybody's like <laughs> gender non nowadays you know what i mean which i love <laughs> right. but back yeah. then it was you were good old american masculine or a housewife you know what i yeah, mean right and so right. here was this queer little sensitive artist boy in me and like i know that was hard and like, i think so he was our our chef and um he was gay but he was gay in a way that like Triggered my own self-loathing and self-hatred because he was effeminate and mm. you know like you know back then we'd call them prissy or whatever you know what I mean and and I I found it a very interesting I don't know how much I didn't talk about this so much in in that chapter I mean I may have talked about it with my third grade teacher who I think was gay but I do remember with with the chef I had had these moments of like me seeing him seeing me. Mm. And I don't—I didn't talk about that in the book, but like wow. m- knowing he knew I was gay, but I didn't even really know I was gay, but also maybe he was looking at me in a sexual way. And like, there's a lot of stuff that I can see now of like, you know, it's just really fascinating. And, but for me, that was so taboo and so scary. I was like, get me the hell out of here! And then soon after that, I went to college, and then I, you know, grappled with coming out. But yeah, so for people who want to read it, like, there, but but the, but the book also deals with acting and uh, uh, stage fright, and I have a great chapter on ayahuasca. I mean, so oh, many yeah. actors have always want, you know what I mean? It's yeah, quite right. vivid. I uh-huh. poop in my pants. Like, yeah. there's a lot. Of, so, yeah, I think there's a little bit for everyone in there, I hope.
0: There really is. And I think that what you even did with your familial relations and the agony of waiting for the day like, when is the moment going to be right when I can actually tell my father? Yeah. Set up who your dad is. I just want to get, I want to paint a picture for yeah. people who your dad is. Right? My dad this. is,
1: he, let me just paint the picture of who, who I thought he was. You know what I mean? And I guess this is still a part of him, but he's like, uh, he's like Yogi Bear now to me, but like back then he was a butcher. Okay. Now just think, just the word butcher. I mean, <laughs> I, I should have titled, subtitled one of those chapters, the butcher. But um, Yeah. He, you know, he wore, you know, slaughter boots up to his knees you know, he smelled of like metal and blood. He was strong. He smoked Marlboros. He was a German immigrant. He was quintessential male. He, had, he worked so hard. So I, you know, we didn't see him as much, you know, like he was always working or sleeping because he was working incredibly long hours because he had his own business uh, as a butcher. Um, and I just had all of these projections of what I thought Maleness was you know what I mean and yeah. and uh, my brothers also there's th- there's four of us kids in the family and two other brothers and a sister, but my brothers were very alpha in a way and very kind of dad's sons, like they worked in the slaughterhouse for a bit, you know meanwhile, I was holding up vegetarians only signs, you know what I mean like I was <laughs> right. the, you know outlier, the iconoclast, I guess so yeah just you know to me the 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 fear of having to come out to who i thought was you know this paternal father masculine figure was very scary and then i don't know if i want to should give it away but then when i did come out like you know the revelations were really powerful and moving and yeah it's and my dad is just he's so supportive now and like it's i mean he's my biggest fan but you know ben can i say my parents were not very supportive of this book because they've warmed to it. There's, it mm. gives meaning to the, the term, uh, what is this saying? Uh, oh. oh my gosh, I was just thinking of this saying last night and I can't think of it. Uh, ask for forgiveness, mm. wait, what is it? Ask for forgiveness later
0: oh yeah don't ask for permission ask for forgiveness that's
1: right that's exactly it i should have just done that but that's not how i roll so like when i started to have the rough draft of it and it was ready to go then i shared it with them and at first they were adamantly against me publishing it they were like they think they come across as like horrible parents Mm. and i was like oh my god you guys everybody who's read the book thinks they're so they're my parents are amazing i won the jackpot you know what i mean yeah your parents are wonderful they think that they are like, like the Hecuba, ah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Of uh-huh. of like parents, they feel like my mom is always like, "Well, if you feel like we were such horrible parents," <laughs> and so they've come around, but man, it has been not easy. It's a love hmm. letter to my parents, but they do not. I don't think they. They still. They're very private, too. Sure, sure, sure. You know, I've changed the names and identities of a lot of people in the book because we come from a small town. But Mm -hmm. I don't know. So it's interesting. I think it's just like a love story to my parents. But it's interesting, right? Like perceptions.
0: Your dad was kind of the last standing person in the family to be like, oh, my gosh, how do I even break this to him? And then. Yeah. (laughs) You got to read the book. uh,
1: You have to read the book. All right. I think that is for a lot of gay people. You know what I mean? The father figure. Well, look, even you don't even have to be gay. Just think about your own relationship with your dad. Yes, it's universal. Coming to our dads with whatever. Well, I'm gonna get married, or I got a girl pregnant, or I'm gay, or I wanna be a musician, or you know what I mean? It is hard a lot of times. But
0: I will though say there are some that are harder than others than others. Yeah. Coming out, um, I can just only begin to imagine all that goes into trying to step over and overcome and and mustering the courage to just say those two little words, words. five letters. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, maybe the best way to end this podcast is this, is that those stories and what the whole book is framed in is, you know, all the things that happen to us, all the tragedy mishaps the obstacles the challenges the discarded parts the broken um you know the wabi sabiing of our lives is the big theme of and the wabi sabiing is just this japanese kintsugi which is when when a cup breaks you don't throw it out you glue it back together and the cracks create its own you know new design and i i really believe that my challenges of growing up gay in the 80s and the pain of being bullied and, and all my own conflict about it has also made me who I am as a teacher, as an artist. It informs my storytelling, how I relate to people. And I want all of your listeners to understand that. That's what creates our art. Is the, the, the That's why we write what we know. That's why you create and act from what you know. That's why all art is autobiographical, is you have to lead from your bruises and your blood. You leave from your heart break and you transcend it you turn it into something and that becomes a cathartic healing journey you know what i mean and it's fun it's like super fun you just
0: so, need to fall off the bench
1: yeah you really do perfect way to you're good at podcasts. there it is you knew when you were two your microphone has gone really wonky just all of a sudden
0: is that working
1: that's better you sounded like darth vader there
0: oh shoot
1: like i uh, need vibrated. to do my plug just that, yeah
0: do the plug again <laughs> All right, take two. Take two. All right, so everybody, you knew when you were two by Anthony. There it Mondial. is. There by the way, you will
1: not. There will not be a not for resale band <laughs> on there. He got a
0: proof copy. <laughs> proof copy. But no, seriously, everybody, I highly recommend it. It's a very universal story that we can all relate to from a very vulnerable, beautiful person, oh, Anthony Mindelson. Thanks for doing this. It and as you so said, fun. you
1: don't have to be gay. Please don't think <laughs> you have to be gay. It's universal. That's right. that's right. Why do we have to categorize stuff? You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, seriously. Like, I hate yeah, categories. I know. Like, you see my other movie. It's like, it's, it was on the gay film circuit, but it's gay, but it's also not gay. Like, there's straight love stories in there, too. You know what I mean? Like, it's so How do we interesting. Have to do that? Why do people That's another segmenting, othering, marginalizing. Damn it. That's, that's, we'll do another podcast.
0: Episode two. That's right. Someday. And ben, thank you
1: so much for having me. We will promote the hell out of it. What a great conversation.
0: Oh, thank you. It was, thank it you was for wonderful. facilitating it. Yeah. Thanks for being open and showing up. I admire you, Anthony Mindel. Thanks. Thanks for a lot. Yep. Thanks, Ben. We'll talk to you soon. That was awesome. Ciao. Thanks for listening, everyone. For more information on Anthony Mindel and his work, visit AnthonyMindel.com. That's M E I N D L. Also, you can find his memoir, You Knew When You Were Two, on Amazon.com. Also, you can visit my website, knittedheart.com, to hear previous episodes, investigate further resources, and hear more about my ongoing work as a filmmaker. If you like what you hear, please leave a 5-star review on Apple Podcasts and share with your friends. This is the best way to spread the good word, which allows me to constantly broaden my reach with future episodes. Peace to you until then and bye bye for now.